Hello and welcome to Inside Exercise. I'm Emeritus Professor Glenn McConnell from Melbourne in Australia. Um, the brief of Inside Exercise is to bring to you the absolute who's who in exercise metabolism, exercise physiology and exercise and health. And the idea here is to bring it to the masses, but also have uh, some rigor, right? So I think it should appeal to all sorts of people interested in exercise. Um, what we're doing here today is interviewing Brett Goodpaster. He is from Advent Health in Florida. He's a total expert in insulin resistance and the role of the mitochondria, et cetera. But he's also done a lot of work on um, aging and exercise. Okay, so the brief today is to talk about all sorts of things around that. But in particular, can aging slow the, um, can exercise slow the aging process? Okay, so Brett's um, a great guy. I've known him for many years. Uh, we both went to Ball State University in Indiana many years ago. Um, he's actually training for a uh, Ironman two weeks after this interview, his second Ironman. And interestingly, he's doing it with Scott Trappy, who is the current uh, director of Ball State University. And he will be coming on uh, in, a, in a little bit to talk about exercise in space. So uh, enjoy. Today I have with me Brett Goodpaster from Florida. How are you, Brett? Doing well, Glenn. Thanks. Great, great. So we've known each other for a while now. We both went to Ball State University in Indiana. Yep. And, uh, yeah, so Brett's, Brett's um, been doing some great work. Uh, his main focus has probably been around uh, the mitochondria, fat metabolism, etc. But he's also done a whole bunch of that in regards to aging, yeah? Yep. All right, cool. So we're going to talk about uh, aging and exercise, but I guess focusing on does aging slow does um, exercise slow the aging process? So what do you reckon? Does it? I think it does. I think that's the sort of the punchline uh, here, but uh, you know, it gets a lot more complicated when you start drilling down on specific questions about, you know, exercise and certain, you know, effects on certain system, you know, body systems and organs. So I think it's a more complicated answer than just, yeah, slows aging. Yep. Yep. So why don't we even just straight off the bat say you know we're talking about exercise are we talking about physical activity just sort of you know exercise and daily life or do you think to have these effects you really need to be sort of doing you know exercise like you know getting your heart rate up and all that yeah no it's a good question i i, I certainly think there's you know a lot of benefits just you know to stay physically active you know um gardening you know just walking staying generally active but I do th think there are likely specific um, effects of structured exercise that you won't see with just, you know, normal physical activity. Yeah. Of course, a lot of it depends on, you know, where, where, you're, where your starting point is, right? I mean, if you're, you know, if, if, if your functional level is really low, um, you know, maintaining just normal physical activity is probably really important. Um, but I do think there's a distinction between, you know, physical activity as we think about it and, and structured exercise. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's interesting. So talking about the, the level. So I, I noticed, um, so as I mentioned um, elsewhere, um, Brett's written a chapter for the ebook we've got coming out on exercise metabolism. And I noticed in there you were talking about the, the METs. So, you know, the metabolic equivalents. Mm -hmm. So one met is your basal metabolic rate. 
And you said something in there about something like, is it five METs? It's kind of like a cutoff. So if you, you know, if you're really kind of inactive mm -hmm. and you go up sort of one MET or two METs, you were saying you'd reduce your risk of dying of, uh, of, of all-cause mortality by 20% or something. Do you want to just sort of... Uh... Yeah, I, th I think the MET is, as, as you know, Glenn, is just another way to express fitness, right? Is, yeah. you know, aerobic capacity, mm -hmm. um, metabolic equivalence, um, resting metabolic rate times you know, X as a met level. And so, yeah, I think it's just another way to express, you know, maximal aerobic capacity or fitness. Yes. But with that, you, there was this idea that, um, obviously the lower, like you were touching on there, the lower your fitness to start with. So there's something like, I think five, if you've got like five mets, you're, you're kind of at the level of frailty. And yeah, yeah. If you, if you just do enough exercise, even just to increase that a little bit, which is still like, you know, it's not like they've got to go out and get like this huge VO2 max or something. Right, right, right. Reduce the frailty and re reduce the all-cause mortality. So, so right across the gamut, it's um. Yeah, and I think you know the 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 epidemiology would indicate that there's a pretty strong relationship between fitness and all-cause mortality and oh, cardiovascular rated related mortality. Um, but I think you hit upon another area which is really interesting. In, in in aging and that is this concept of physiological reserve that relates to to fitness right i mean we often think you know coming from the exercise you know physiology field it's all about you know maximal you know vo2 peak or vo2 max and and maximal card you know cardiac output and fitness related to performance um which i you know i, I not taking anything away from that it's it, it's it's true but I think there's this concept around physiological reserve that relates to, to, you know, maximum exercise capacity. That's also really important. And I use the example of, of, um, data that we've seen recently in our aging studies that, um, that that's really, that's really compelling. And, and so basically what, what we see, so if we measure an older person's VO2 max or maximal cardiorespiratory fitness, um, you know, typically their values are, you know, for normal, you know, non-exercising older people, they're, they're fairly low, right? Their fitness is fairly low. And then when you measure their energy expenditure or their VO2 during their just sort of normal walking, their activity of daily living, sort of normal walking speed, um, as it turns out, their normal preferred walking speed is about 65% of their VO2 peak. Yeah. Their VO2 and for peak you and I, 65% of our VO2 peak is, that's structured exercise, right? I mean, that's, that's, um, that's a brisk, you know, it's, it's not high interval training, you know, intensity interval training, but it's, um, it's, it's not trivial in terms of the intensity. So that tells me that these, these, some of these older people who have low fitness, mm -hmm. you know, just walking around the grocery store, yeah, they're exercising at a pretty high percentage of their peak, yeah. which is, you know, so they're really, their, their reserve capacity beyond that is, is, is not much, right? They're working, in other words, they're working at a pretty high um, percentage of their, their reserve capacity. And if they can put that up a little bit, by by doing some exercise even if it's you know walking or, or i mean 
probably the more the better. Exactly. They've got a big and, and you, right. And and that's that's the important argument too, right? Because you'll hear people say, well, who cares what your maximum is? Because you're never you're never working out at your maximum. Which well, is true in younger you, and anyone like a young athlete or whatever, it's true, right? But it, it's true, but but if the if some of these older people are really? you know functioning on a day-to-day level, walking across the street at 70% yeah. of their VO2 peak, yeah, um, that's really important I'd because work. you know it 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 relates to their metabolism, you know, are they are, are they burning glucose? Are they burning fat? You know, are they becoming more fatigued because they actually even have like, are they lactates up when they're walking? I, I never thought. Well, we, we, we don't know. I, you, you would assume that they wouldn't be really high, but, um, but does that relate to fatigue? Right. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Normally you wouldn't think lactate would be up, but if you're, yeah, I mean, you see it all the time. Like people are walking, they got to sit and have a rest. You know, you go for walking and you go for a trek, you know, like just do a, I don't know, a national park or something. Even, yeah. even even younger people, they have to stop and have a rest. And it's because they're so unfit. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I know we might talk about it later, but does that does that tie into their, you know, motivation, you know, to exercise or not? Right. So yeah. So um yeah, so that's kind of metabolic fitness. They sort of talk about that a bit as well. Is that I guess because you could be because you know, going back to that thing, which I totally agree with um you know even people that are that are quite young and, and fit that you you would say the vo2 max isn't the be all and end all right even though it's obviously important for for all sorts of things you're you're not always at your vo2 max but but you'll say well you need your metabolic yes yeah. so so you know that's why you know going for a walk or whatever which is obviously applicable for, for older people as well is improving your metabolic fitness but it's not really improving your VO to max because you know your VO to max is maximum cardiac output. That's right. Oxygen extraction, whatever. Yeah. So or maybe it makes it easier to to function at a higher percentage of that of that peak, right? A high, you know, um, maybe your reserve capacity is a little better. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So so in terms of um, slowing, you know, does exercise slow aging, etc. I guess you start thinking about, well, you know, do you live longer with exercise, which I think we know the answer to that, but if you just expand on that a little bit, but also there's, there's the lifespan versus the health, there's a, a term that's become a bit more prevalent nowadays, which is the, yeah. the health span, you know, so how much of your life are you actually healthy, even if you're not living longer, but my assumption would be that, that exercise, I guess endurance exercise in particular, for, for lifelong endurance exercise would increase your lifespan and your health span. So what proportion of your life that you're healthy? Is that, is that, am I getting that? I, I think both are true. You know, um, you know, even rodent studies, I think have shown that, you know, exercise doesn't necessarily increase maximal lifespan, but I think the data in humans um, are fairly compelling that, you know, lifelong ex exercise does increased lifespan um you know it's sort of cross-sectional data for the most part but nonetheless i think the data are, are pretty compelling i think it's it's more clear that exercise you know increases this health span you know yes. um which which is essentially you know living you know having sort of healthy aging or living 
healthy long, you know, for a, for a longer period of your life. You know, I've heard it described to me, you know, by, by some that we want to live sort of the square wave of life, right? You want to be healthy, 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 and then just, uh, then suddenly full up, and then just suddenly, mm-hmm. suddenly go right. Exactly. Um, rather than this just sort of steady, you know, prolonged, <laughs> protracted mm-hmm. d- decline. Right. Yeah. And, that, and that's, the I thing. think that's, that's what healthy aging health life, you know, health span is. Yeah. And that's the thing that's probably really gone astray, right? Because we are living longer and longer, but you know, we've, we've also got less activity. People are less active, but they're living longer. So you've got a longer period. And, and you know, you even think about the, the effect on the, on the, um, you know, keeping people alive and just the cost of all the medical interventions and things. Now people are living longer, but they're not actually healthy. So they're actually sick longer. Well, yeah, I agree. And it's, it's, you know, probably a topic for another day, Mm -hmm. but I I certainly see that what's tied into this concept is, is, you know, how the, how the obesity epidemic is going to affect all this. I don't even think we've seen that yet. Right. Because it's a, it's a fairly recent phenomenon, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, in the past few decades, and I don't think we've really have seen the effects of the obesity epidemic on, on lifespan and, and certainly health span. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's a lot of data indicating, obviously, that obesity is associated with, you know, um, mortality and morbidity. Um, but in terms of a, at, at a population level, um, mm-hmm. I think it's, yeah, I'm not optimistic what we're going to see. And, you know, on, on top of that is um, layered on top of that probably is the less activity, physical activity as well, because yeah. all, the, all, the, all the kids nowadays. So, you know, when you and I are growing up, we didn't have iPhones and lap- yeah. I didn't have a laptop. I didn't even see a laptop. Till I was like starting my undergrad. I hadn't, no, sorry, a computer. I hadn't used a computer until I started my undergrad. So, oh, so me too. Yeah. Now it's just yeah. phones and computer games and whatever. So we're going to yeah. have the obesity epidemic on top of the physical inactivity. In the, epidemic oh okay depressing but anyway so we got to try and turn that around though so i guess that's Ex- exercise, exercise is the way out right yeah yeah um so the, the whole psychological you know aspects of it so i, I have some people on in the future to talk about you know, how do we actually get people to exercise but um you know you and yeah. i try and show the evidence that exercise does this and this but then it's a matter of people actually then doing it well, that's, that's what I tell people as well, you know, as you know, you, and you just sort of said it, that the type of research that, that you and I have done around exercise is really kind of efficacy mm-hmm. research, right? Which is basically, um, if you do the exercise, what are the effects? That's mm-hmm. what we're interested in, right? I think it's a, an entirely different field of study to see what, you know, how to get people to, to exercise or more people to exercise. Um, but that's not really what it's, and that's really important, but that's, that's not what I, um, do. And sometimes we suffer because of that. I don't know about you guys, but here with our grinding bodies, um, you write this grind in all this beautiful mechanisms and everything. And they say, and as long as you're a good reviewer, it's becoming less, but you know, say, oh, that's all very well, but how are you going to get them to exercise? Yeah. now that's not what I'm focusing on here, but um, or you'll get the reviewer that says, "Well, we know exercise is good for you, so why, you know, why do we care? Yeah, why do we need? We just got to get more people to exercise." Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Hey, so just thinking about the exercise. So 
I know you've done a lot of research on, you know, endurance type exercise, uh, resistance exercise. I guess you could have sprint exercise, but you don't see too many older people out sprinting. Um, so what, you know, can you talk a little bit about the, the different types of exercise and the effects on aging? So I guess, you know, muscle mass, muscle, you know, maintaining muscle mass, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there's a lot of, you know, interesting work, you know, that's been done and ongoing, you know, about this. And I, I think for me, a couple of interesting, almost fallacies are one that aerobic exercise doesn't do anything to, to muscle mass, which I think in terms of increasing muscle mass or hypertrophy, that's absolutely true. I mean, well, maybe that's a little strong, but for the most part, that's true. But what, what I think gets doesn't get appreciated um, as much is is potentially the ability of endurance exercise to prevent the loss of muscle as people as people age um and then you know our work going back you know almost 20 years now shows that and this is from you know population epidemiology studies showing that um muscle mass per se is is really not as important as, as what we used to think, really, it, it, it's about strength and muscle quality. Um, that's really more important than muscle mass. So, you know, when people talk to me about muscle, maintaining muscle mass, all, although I think it's, it's certainly important. I think it's much more important to focus on maintaining muscle quality and strength. Okay. So strength is, you know, obviously people know what strength means. But what do you mean by muscle quality? Are you talking even about you know, intramuscular fats and things like that? Or Well, I think those things are related, but I guess muscle quality in the strict sense would be, you know, per muscle, you know, per amount of muscle mass, how does your muscle function, right? So um, it's almost like strength per unit mass. Um, okay. So the intramuscular strength. And how is that affected by aging and how, how does exercise affect that? Well, we've, we, we've shown that, um, and these are longitudinal aging studies that we've done um, in the health aging and body composition studies showing that these men and women in their 70s lose about a half a percent per year of muscle mass, but the loss of, of strength is about one and a half to two percent per year. So it's about three times greater than the loss of muscle mass. So in our, so what we see is there's a much more accelerated loss of of muscle quality and strength than okay. we see in, in, in mass. Okay, so that, that becomes a bit more complicated as well. Like how much of that do you think is, is because, you know, as you know, when you do weight training, you, know, you get the adaptations with hypertrophy, but you also get the, the motor control, the, you know, the recruiting, the fibers and things. How yeah. much of that do you think might be outside of the muscle and how much, do you know what I mean? Like how much of it is motor control and sort of... Um, yeah, no, that's a good question. When we talk about muscle quality, we really don't know if it's intrinsic to the muscle, is it motor okay. recruitment um, or even, or, or even central command, right? I mean, yeah. you know, then you get in, then you get into motivation and brain health and, yeah. um, you and know, you link, link, link to muscle and yeah. So one thing I did want to bring up was the, the, the interesting thing I think is really interesting is how you tend to you lose with age your fast. So people may not know, but you've got sort of your aerobic slow type, type muscle fibers and you've okay. got fast twitch, which are your more sprint type muscle fibers. They tend to fatigue quicker, slow fibers fatigue uh, less. 
And I've always found it interesting that with age, you tend to lose your fast muscle fibers, your fast motor units more than your slow. So how does that sort of impact on things? So that would, you know, in terms of force production, and I guess they can't slow that down, right? You can't slow down your loss of fast fibers by exercising, can you? Yeah, you know, I think it's somewhat controversial about the, the loss of, the selective loss of fast fibers, but assuming you, you know, are losing fast fibers, I think it certainly has implications and it's probably related to, um, first of all, you, you're not recruiting those fibers day to day if, you, if you're not, you know, doing forceful contractions to, to recruit or train those fibers. And I, I don't think you'd get a lot of arguments from many that that's, that would be a reason that you're, that you're losing those fibers. Um, okay. Yeah. Oh, so maybe, okay. So just to unpack that a little bit. So I guess I'm maybe not up on that. So it's not that clear with aging that you lose your fast fibers peripherally now? I think it's still somewhat controversial. Yeah. Okay. okay. And, you so, know, as, as you know, Glenn, there are this subclasses of type two fibers that makes it a little bit more complicated, exactly. right? That's the thing. Yeah. Well, I would, you know, you've got the pure, pure two X, the two X fibers, which healthy, you know, healthy younger people don't really have exactly. much of the two X fibers. They, they're type two fibers or the two A fibers that are a little bit more aerobic, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, cool. So, um, so okay. So, in terms of practicalities, I, I guess I could, I could guess the answer. You'd probably say do some aerobic and some some maybe strength type stuff as you age. Is that a fair? Is that a fair thing to prescribe to people to, to do a mix? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the strength training is important, not only for muscle, but probably for bone as well. I mean, you know, weight bearing exercise, whether it's walking, running, or strength training is probably really important for bone health. Throughout um, as well, right? Yeah, That's yeah, exactly. So not only, not only muscle health, but, um, no, and I look, I think it's important to sort of go into old age, whatever we want to define as old age. Um, as healthy as possible, right? With, with the healthy amount of muscle mass and, 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 you know, frankly, I think it goes back to this concept of physiological reserve, right? You want to have, you want to have some reserve capacity. You want to have enough muscle mass and, you know, reserve capacity. Mm -hmm. If you get injured or get sick, you can recover from this. And this is something that we don't think about very much. Um, but typically what happens is, you know, these older people will get some, acute insult or injury, um, hospitalization, they decline in function, they lose muscle mass. Um, and so this recovery from these acute insults or injuries um, it becomes really, really important. And I don't think there's a lot of evidence, but it makes intuitive sense that if, if you don't have the reserve capacity to recover from these episodes, then yeah. you know, it's, it's going to result in a much more rapid decline on the back end of that. So, well, yeah, I was thinking, um, well, two things I was thinking how I'd, I'd seen, you had some papers on, I think people that broke, uh, broke their neck of femur or something like that. Am I getting that right? So people that are, that wasn't, that wasn't us. Okay. Well, I'm trying to think maybe their, bone, um, their muscle mass or whatever after operations. I thought I saw something about, maybe I had that wrong, but you could imagine, I guess, if someone's, you know, the classic thing, an older person breaks their neck of femur, um, you know, they're already frail. Yeah. Yeah. They lose this muscle mass. You said that this reserve is probably really small already. 
and you know the prognosis for them is not is not good you know um, yeah exactly um well we you know we 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 did a we did a study with some transplant surgeons um back at the university of pittsburgh and it was interesting that we showed that um muscle mass and muscle composition actually predicted um mortality following liver transplant so oh, wow. you know i think this concept of physiological reserve and muscle mass relates to you know um well in this case you know liver liver transplantation so these diseases and conditions that we don't normally think of normally yeah actually that reminds me as well and it, it fits in because like you've done a lot of stuff with mitochondria but i remember there's this stuff on people that had heart transplants and their muscles were still mucked up their muscle uh, i think it was the mitochondria but the, yeah. was the study potassium pump all sorts of things so it just shows how integrated this is something i wanted to sort of bring out somewhere just how integrative it is so I just wanted to touch on that a little bit. So, you know, people would think, oh, okay, you know, if I get my grandma or my mother exercising or whatever, she's going to like, you know, maintain her muscle. And that's what we've talked about. But, you know, exercise is so much more integrative than that. So, you know, that, so with their VO2 max, for example, which I know there's more to life than VO2 max, but increasing your, your cardiovascular function is going to happen with the exercise, but all sorts of other systems, right? It's, it's so integrative. So I mean, Absolutely. like, what about the immune system? I, I, this is not your area, but now we know that exercise, we're sort of putting an artificial barrier almost here and saying non-aged and aged people, we know exercise is good for your immune system. You know, if you do too much, it's, it's, um, it could be, you know, it can go like a flip over, but we know exercise is good for the cardiovascular system. We know but we're sort of, well, I am anyway, talking about oh, aged, non-aged. It's a continuum, isn't it? Like. There's no reason to think exercise yeah. is good for cardiovascular health in a younger person. Why wouldn't it be in an older person? Unless I guess they've got a heart condition or something. Yeah, no, I think it's an important, you know, topic for sure, because, um, and, you know, it sort of relates to the question of, you know, um, is it too late, you know, is it too late to exercise? And, we see older people responding quite well to exercise and you're really hard pressed to find any data um, showing that people absolutely don't respond to exercise at a, at a certain age, right? Um, depends on what outcome you're looking at, but I'm sure, you know, you, you can find some, some improvement somewhere because exercise is sold so sort of multipotent, right? I totally agree. It reminds me of the, the classic, you know, for a while there, Claude Bouchard was saying, um, I think it was him that was saying this, that responders and non-responders and all this sort of stuff with yeah. exercise. But when you actually go and I think I've struggled to find any non-responders. So even if their VO2 max doesn't go up, for example, or something, they'll have lower lactate or the RER will be lower or something will be, you know, yeah. I think you struggle to find a non-responder. It almost makes no sense. You know, oh, absolutely. And I, and I, I think, I think the exercise response variation is very real, right? Um, there is variation, mm -hmm. but, but who's to say that, you know, you put somebody on a 12 week exercise program and they don't respond very well. Well, you know, maybe it's the intensity, maybe they just need, you know, to exercise for a longer period of time. Yeah. Um, every, everybody's different. And this is the response variation, but I agree with you. I think, you know the the non-response is really a a tough one for me to you wouldn't want that to, you know I, i'm sure they, in the odd cases they're out they're out there but you know it's yeah, I, 
you wouldn't want that to turn people, you know, sometimes people are wanting the easier solution or something. You wouldn't want someone to go out and they do a couple of runs. I'm not getting better. Yeah. I'm, I'm a non-responder. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. If I tried exercise, it doesn't work for me. Yeah. Non-responder. That's, that's, that's a good one. Um, but may look, but may, but maybe people do respond better to resistance exercise compared to endurance exercise exactly. or vice versa, right? And this actually fits well with with some of the stuff you've done. Where we're talking about, okay, the response of younger to older people to endurance or resistance. I know you've done stuff on that, and you said maybe that you know you might need double the volume or something in an older person. Is that right? Yeah. To sort of try and get the same. Because, you know, there are all sorts, of, we haven't talked about it, but there's all sorts of things going on in terms of hormones and things as well. Yeah. So like an older man, for example, if they've got lower growth hormone, lower testosterone, you know, maybe that's why they need more. I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, maybe it takes more of a, an exercise stimulus. And, you know, we started talking a little bit about, you know, um, exercise and aging and, you know, I think the concept of whether or not exercise, you know, can pre prevent or, or slow aging, I think that's a really broad sort of concept. Um, it's probably specific to, to specific systems and even cell types or tissue types. Um, I, always, I always bring the, in the example from our own data, you know, we've, we've tested these master's athletes, you know, these aerobic athletes, right, who do, you know, competitive running races, cycling races, triathlons. Um, when you compare their, their data to younger athletes, their maximal cardiac output is lower, their VO2 peak is lower. But when you look at their muscle biopsies and the amount of mitochondria in their muscle, and you take pictures of their muscle mitochondria, they're identical. The, the older athletes have just as many mitochondria as the younger athletes. Um, their mitochondria are just as functional. So, but their cardiovascular system is, is clearly um, not as, you know, as functioning as well, right? So again, I think it depends on what system you're looking at. Yeah, well, I think that that's really interesting. I remember reading stuff on that a while ago because you can't really stop, like as you age, your maximum heart rate goes up, goes down by about one beat per year. You know the old 220 minus your age. I mean, it may be you know not exact, but you can't really stop that. So if your cardiac maximum cardiac output determines your VO2 max in a large part, so you can't really affect that. But in a, in a way, as you get older, you, your cardiovascular function goes down, and training can't you know can reduce that, but can't prevent that. But it sounds like your your periphery, your muscles, kind of adapt. You know, like that's that's the part that can, um, yeah, keep it going as long as possible. Yeah, yeah. Which you know, going back to your point, Glenn, about you know matching cardio, you know, the cardiovascular system to the periphery. I think this is really likely very important for for patients too, like heart disease patients and even heart failure, et cetera. Right? If their heart's not functioning as well, can they? can they do exercise to, to essentially extract, you know, extract more out of what, what the muscles being, being exactly. given. Right. Exactly. And I saw you've done um, something on, you were just a little bit on nitrate and uh, you've done a few sort of interventions to try and, you know, get the most bang for your buck there. So I know you did something on that with age, age people as well, right? Yeah. 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 We're actually doing some trials right now with, um, 
uh, oral nitrites and and uh, aging and metabolism. Yeah. So the idea there is, is I guess, um, if you can get a little bit more, because there is some evidence with nitrate, but it's a bit, you know, myself and others have, have not always found it. But the idea that you can maybe use, get a little bit more uh, oxygen consumption, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with the nitrates. So, um, sorry, increase your efficiency. So get a little bit more bang for your buck, some more output per unit of oxygen with nitrate. Yeah. Yeah. So if they've got this oxygen sort of delivery problem and they can get a little right. bang for the buck. So, and you've, exactly. found, some, you've found that works? Well, it's, it's, it's too early to tell right now, but I think, you know, some of the, some of the early results, because, you know, we're looking in muscle biopsies at the mitochondria function and, you know, we're not, we're not unblinded yet, but um, so we'll, we'll see. Um, we're working with, I don't know if you know, Mark Gladwin, but he's one of the pioneers yes. in, in, Night and oral nitrites and nitric oxide biology. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Just to circle around a bit, we haven't talked about it really, but um, now you've done a lot of work on intramuscular fats and yep. uh, whether they relate to insulin resistance and things like that. And you know, you've, you're the sort of the man on this this paradox that that exercise increases intramuscular fat, um, but with an obese person, they have increased intramuscular fat, and that's not a good thing. Mm -hmm. But with it exercising, the intramuscular fat, you know, can be actually important for the exercise. Did you want yep. to just talk a little bit, might get a little bit complicated, but the fact that, you know, with aging and you're unfit, you're going to get increases in your intramuscular fat, especially if you're overweight, and that's a bad thing. Yeah. With exercise, you're going to get an increase in your intramuscular fat, which can be okay. So what mm -hmm. actually happens in that sort of situation? Um yeah, it's interesting. You know, we, we had sort of two parallel lines of research going when I was in Pittsburgh working with David Kelly to, to understand, you know, the pathobiology of insulin resistance and obesity and type 2 diabetes. And, um, you know, we had done some studies in, in muscle composition and um, we, we became interested in this phenomenon that, that you know, many, in, including groups and you know, Europe and the U.S. and Australia were, were, were finding with this, you know, muscle triglyceride accumulation and insulin resistance and related to type 2 diabetes. And it was almost becoming dogmatic in the field that, you know, muscle lipid muscle triglyceride accumulation was, was causal for insulin resistance, potentially even type 2 diabetes. And, but we knew from the exercise physiology literature that muscle triglyceride was a fuel source for for exercising muscle. So we began to look at some of our athletes and just simply at the, the amount of muscle lipids stored. And, and as we hypothesized, it was, it was actually higher, at least the triglycerides in muscle were higher. And this made total sense to us because it's a fuel source. It's almost like glycogen, right? They're, they're storing this fuel source. They want to burn it for exercise. So it, you know, it, we, we felt it was more about the, the flux of the lipid rather than the static pool of lipid itself that was, that was likely important for, for insulin resistance and, and you know, so metabolic the composition of it though. I mean, we know there's so many different types of triglycerides. Yeah, right. So that, that got, right. That, that got us and others sort of, you know, going down the path of trying to identify, 
you know, some of these other lipid moieties or metabolites or other lipid species that, that were more likely um, causal for insulin resistance. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, you know, preclinical and even human literature out there um, suggesting that diacylglycerol, ceramides, other sphingolipids are, um, seem uh, to be more causal. For a bit. I was kind of asking for it, but we're probably getting a little bit complicated here. I guess just to bring it back a bit. So, you know, if you're obese, uh, inactive, you tend to have in in increased intramuscular triglycerides, which can be a bad thing for your mitochondrial function and maybe, maybe play a role in insulin resistance. When you exercise, you get a, a normal sort of increase because you want to use it for metabolism. So what happens, well, in, yeah. your, what happens in your older exercise people? Um, well, let me let me just say first, um, I'll, I'll get to the, the aging question here in a minute, but we also had done studies that showed that when obese people and normal weight lean people exercise, again, this muscle triglyceride is a fuel source. So even even sedentary obese people, when you put them on an exercise bike and you have them exercise, you know, just an acute exercise bout, they're clearly able to burn fat and they're burning muscle triglycerides. So for us, again, it was another clue that it wasn't the static pool of the muscle turnover in, in the cell. It was, it was more about the, the metabolic flux and, and the, the fat metabolism. But anyway, so you know, and there are a lot of parallels, by the way, with obesity and aging too, that we see um, that, you know, these older people um, seem to accumulate, you know, lipid in the muscle. Although, I mean, we, we did direct head to head comparisons of, you know, older subjects and younger subjects and didn't really see a strong, you know, aging effect per se. And this was another clue to us that there are probably a you know, other, other factors, um, then aging like obesity and physical inactivity that are driving some of these, um, you know, kind of metabolic diseases, including insulin resistance and diabetes, um, and age, age per se didn't, didn't really, uh, didn't really show up. And the one, the one study that we did didn't never really got a lot of attention, although I think it was a really important study. We, we directly compared young versus old people in three distinct groups of subjects, athletes, obese, and normal weight people. And the insulin resistance um, was clearly determined by obesity and physical inactivity, but the old versus young, young subjects in each of those categories were identical. So there was no aging effect on insulin resistance. Wow. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So, so bringing that together, I guess, with the muscle. So you're saying the muscle quality, therefore, is, is able to be maintained by exercise. And, and that's, that is almost like not an issue for them. So as you age, obviously you lose muscle mass. But if you try and maintain that muscle, well, you're saying it's not necessarily the mass. So if you maintain the strength and the quality, it's almost like something else is going to get you. You know what I mean? Like the yeah. muscle is not is is it's not going to be the problem. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like the well, and I and and I think you know I think more holistically maintaining a healthy weight for the amount of muscle mass you have is really really important too, right? Um, you know, uh, many people in the obesity field don't think so much about 
obesity and physical function, but it's, it's a really important, um, you know, thing to think about, right? Um, certainly obesity is related to diabetes, you know, type two diabetes and cardiovascular disease, but it's also re related to mobility disability and osteoarthritis. Exactly. Um, so simply just having too much weight on your frame um, is going to affect your physical function. And this is, this is an important area that we don't all always, I think, often enough appreciate. Yeah. Okay. And I've been actually meaning to get back to that because we've talked, you know, quite a lot about VO to max and, and, but activities of daily life are the critical things. You know, if you think about an older person, I mean, they're all critical, but the ability to get out of a chair, you know, the ability to carry groceries, go up a few stairs or whatever. Yeah are just massive and and for that you're going to need you know some reserve so as you said some aerobic reserve but also the strength and the legs yeah. and the coordination exactly so with the coordination i guess it's making me think about um falls yeah so if people you know older people fall and they can you know break their hip and whatever um i'm assuming well i guess i know that exercise depending on the exercise i guess is going to make that less likely if you're stronger you're less fragile file. yeah you you would think not having said that i, I i'm not an expert in that area and I, I don't know that data as well but it makes intuitive sense right that if you're exercising maintaining a healthy weight um it's going to relate to less less falls and less injuries so and, and I guess also we, we would all know, um, I, I was sort of saying, why do I keep talking about break, broken uh, neck of femurs? It's because I broke my neck of femur in a bike crash, a, a bike, bicycle crash. Um, so it's a little bit personal. So I said, like, why do I keep talking yeah. about that? So right. the thing, and it actually ties back a bit, is that the doctors were surprised how quickly I responded. So I, I exercise quite a lot, you know, almost every day. They were surprised yeah. how well I, I recovered from the whole thing. So for the operation, how quickly I, I came back. So it makes sense again. Why well, I'm kind of aged, right? I'm 50, I'm about to turn 60. But when I you had a good you had a you had a good reserve capacity. Exactly. So when I broke the neck of him, I was like 50. But the point there is it makes sense that if if a per, an older person, you know, falls, breaks something, they're gonna, they're gonna now all of your homeostasis is better controlled when you're when you're exercising, they're probably going to yeah, yeah. be better. They're going to have more muscle mass, you know, to 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 handle that. Because you're going to lose muscle mass. Yeah, they'll have you know more to start with. The higher aerobic capacity. I mean, it all it all it all makes sense. I guess we're back. We're back to just we've got to get them to do it. It's the hard part. That's right. Well, and I think you bring up another really interesting question about you know exercise and and aging um, in terms of you know, can you, can you completely prevent some of these aging effects or can you just slow it? Um, I think there's a lot of value in slowing aging, right? Slowing the sort of the steep trajectory of aging. Um, yeah. 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 Cause we're not going to live, we're not going to live forever. Something, you know, it, it's, it's, it's kind of, things are going to deteriorate over time. I think, you know, the best we can hope for is we're going to just slow the process a bit. Yeah, so just just to probably finish up soon, but um, just something that we, we keep sort of interchangeably. You can't really talk about exercise without talking about weight, you know, and that we keep sort of coming back to that. So I, I guess a, a fair sort of question is, and I know you've done some research on this, 
is with aging and disease, you know, the, the, the benefits of, of sort of, um, you know, trying to maintain your weight. Okay, so if you're overweight, mm-hmm. I know you've done studies looking at weight loss, you know, yep. dieting versus exercise versus both, etc. Do you have any comments around that? So if you had, I don't know, if your grandmother or whatever was, was, was overweight, obviously getting old, uh, your, your parents or whatever, and you, you know, and, the, and it's like, oh, do I diet? Do I exercise? Do I do? Yeah. I mean, do you have any thoughts? Around well, that? I, I think, you know, to sort of jump to the punchline and we, we, you know, we can talk a little bit more about it, but um, I think, you know, having a, a safe and healthy weight loss um, is, is probably good for most older people. If it's intentional, I mean, what you don't want to have happen is, you know, sort of the unintentional weight loss caused by, you know, cancer or something else that you can't control. But in terms of, you know, intentional diet induced weight loss, um, I think it can be healthy. It improves lipid profiles. It decreases blood pressure. Um, but what's very clear to us through our research is that, um, I would, you know, exercise is really the key to do superimposed with the weight loss because it maintains muscle mass. It maintains, it actually improves your mitochondria function, um, in, in the context of weight loss. Um, it results in even greater improvements in insulin sensitivity and sort of cardiometabolic risk. Um, so if you're going to lose weight, you got to do it with exercise. I mean, do it with diet, but at, but certainly add exercise to the program. I mean, I know the, <laughs> I asked the question, yeah. I, knew, I knew the answer, but, you know, it, it, it kind of drives you nuts when, you know, you see all this stuff, you know, lose weight now, you know, with this program, you know, like diet programs, you know, no exercise needed. And it's like, well, even if you lose the weight, you're not going to get all the benefits of the exercise. You know, you're going to lose your muscles. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So um, it's almost like, you know, sometimes people think it's so complicated, you know, like, oh, you know, like with food, often it's just have a normal mixed diet, you know, um, and with exercise, you know, do I do weight loss? Do I do exercise? Do I do this? Do, what percent max do I need to exercise at? Do I do high intensity intermittent, you know, sprints or do I do aerobic? And it's just like, do more than you do now. Try and eat a little bit less, you know, like it's not that complicated. You know, I know there's a lot to look at and a lot to research, but it's just kind of like well, yeah no i mean when people ask me what what kind of exercise should i do my answer is do the exercise that you will do uh, yeah exactly <laughs> right i mean do you know do something that you're gonna stick with you're gonna enjoy mm-hmm. um you know look it's 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 easy for us to say you know do you know this prescription or incorporate resistance exercise but i i do think that for a lot of older people, you know, um, there's probably some some component of resistance exercise to, um, you know, even just walking, right? Because it's it's weight bearing, um, so there's probably some benefits there that younger people don't really think about. Oh, you know, you got to do strength training. Um, so. The other thing people don't realize, I was just saying this to my daughter the other day, is, you know, this thing about doing 10,000 steps a day, you know, so is it a big thing in the US? It's a big thing in Australia, try and, you know, you've got to try and clock up your 10,000 steps or whatever. Yeah, you know, it, it's sort of, I guess, that's waned a little bit here. Um, 
people, yeah, but 10,000 steps a day, is pe people still talk about, you know, people, yeah, I mean, everybody's got a Fitbit or Apple watch on. Probably exactly. monitor. Well, I didn't even realize it, but just my normal phone that does it for me. I didn't need to have a Fitbit. Yeah. Yeah, but, but anyway, yeah, the, thing, the thing I was saying to my daughter, though, is that, you know, if you go, if you go for like a, a six kilometer, I don't know, four mile run for Americans, six kilometer um, run. Yeah. People think that's, that's amazing. You know, you're going to be so fit that they don't realize that 10,000 steps is about six kilometers. So, yeah. you know, obviously it's not as hard aerobic, you know, like cardiovascular wise, but you're actually yeah. popping up roughly the same calories. That's so, right. Kilojoules, you know, we're, we're mixing yeah. metric and imperial. If you run six kilometers or walk six kilometers, you know, so 10,000 exactly. steps. So that's, that's right. Thing, you know, back to sort of the metabolic fitness thing. You know, if, if you don't want to be doing structured exercise, go out and do something. And, you know, if you six kilometer run, people think that's amazing, which it is amazing. Well, it didn't, it's amazing for me nowadays. But, um, yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know. Is there anything, uh, is anything we haven't covered? I don't know. Uh, I don't think we covered a lot of good stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think that pretty much covers it. So um, thanks again, Brett, for coming in. Yeah, and, thanks, uh, Glenn. It was, uh, it was fun. It, is, it was fun. So thanks again, and I'll catch up with you next time. All right. Sounds good. Have a good, uh, have a good day, Glenn. Thanks. Okay. See you. Okay. Bye.